To pick up speed, you have to reduce friction. Uh, you have to minimize the part of your machine that is interacting with the environment around it. Uh, for instance, if you want a fast boat, you know how you make a boat faster? You literally get it out of the water. Okay? Really fast boats have skis that pop down from the hull. And so you will watch a really fast boat, and when it reaches a certain speed, it will rise above the water, and it'll be, it, it will be skiing. There will only be like two or three inches of that boat in actual contact with the water. And it's the same thing in life. If you want to pick up speed, then what you have to do is reduce friction. And that means things like you have to reduce friction in relationships. You know, if you want to go fast in life, you need to minimize your relationships because you can't go fast if you're dragging a family behind you. You can't go fast if you're walking with a bunch of friends. So you have to minimize your relationships. You have to minimize your commitments. You can't have meetings all the time or engagements all the time if you want to go through life fast. Now, that's according to the world. And I've never figured out why the world wants us to live so fast. Why do you want to be in such a hurry to die? Once you get to where you're going so fast, what do you do when you get there? The world doesn't tell you that. It just tells you you have to pick up speed. But you and I aren't called to live fast. We're called to live deeply, richly, magnificently, abundantly. And do that? Well, you increase friction. You see, there was something about the way that Jesus lived. There was something about the way that Jesus moved. There was something about the way Jesus responded that Nicodemus wanted. That was what he saw. The depth of Jesus' life, the richness of Jesus' life. How does anybody live like that? And how do I get what Jesus has? That was the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus recorded in John Chapter 3. Stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read this familiar, familiar passage. Now, God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Read it with me. For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. What we would have done, O oh Lord, to be part of the conversation with you and Nicodemus and it staggers us a little bit when it 
we remember that we are part of that conversation, maybe not between you and Nicodemus, but between you and us, asking the same questions, dealing with the same answers. So be patient with us, O Lord, for we are very, very slow students. And we pray this in your name. Amen. By now, Jesus was famous. According to John, in John chapter 2, Jesus has already cleared the temple out and he has made a name for himself. Everybody knows who Jesus is. Everybody is watching him. The people are watching him. And so we find out early in the Gospels that Jesus can't go into the cities anymore because there are too many people following him. He has to stay in the countryside because it overwhelms the villages and the cities when the crowd shows up that is following Jesus. The religious leaders are watching Jesus. The political leaders are watching Jesus. Everybody wants to know who this prophet from the north is and what is the secret of his power. That's what Nicodemus wanted to know. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious leader. Uh, he had spent his life studying the scriptures and there was something about the way Jesus was living that Nicodemus had never seen. There was something about the congruency, an alignment between who Jesus was and what he did and how he spoke and what he said that was almost perfect. It was perfect. But Nicodemus could only agree to almost perfect. No misalignment. There was a richness to his teachings, a depth of understanding. Nicodemus had never seen that. Nicodemus had seen a lot of spiritual people. He'd seen a lot of deep people. He'd seen a lot of smart people. He hadn't seen anybody like Jesus. So he wanted to have the conversation with Jesus. But he wanted a conversation where he wouldn't be interrupted, where there wouldn't be somebody pushing up, trying to get somebody healed or somebody to, to, to touch someone. He wanted a conversation so he could ask a question and hear the full answer of Jesus. So one night after dinner, Nicodemus came to visit Jesus and this conversation happens. We know you are from God, Nicodemus says, because nobody could do what you have done if it were not for God. Nicodemus, you have to be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of God. And there the conversation goes and there Nicodemus' frustration begins and he's trying to figure out what, God is, what Jesus is saying to him and what it means and how you do it. The same frustrations and, and, and unease that we have with this verse and this passage, the same misunderstanding we have, Nicodemus had, and he's trying to figure it out. Now, if you grew up Southern Baptist like I had, like I did, Every Sunday, there was John 3.16 and the rest of the stuff in the Bible. In fact, you could go for months, weeks at some Southern Baptist churches, and all you would hear would be John 3.16. No matter where the pastor started, he would always end with John 3.16. And if you were sitting in the pew, it was a good sign when the pastor finally quoted John 3.16 because you were close to going home. You were trained in evangelism using John 3.16. And especially when you got to the part about everlasting life, you were to really emphasize that you could live forever with Jesus. And isn't that good news? You could live forever. Let's be honest. 
living forever may or may not be good news. Okay, if I were to come to some of you and say, hey, good news, you're going to live forever, your first response would be like this. This is a Merlin in the, in the uh, Arthur stories. He asked the gods for eternal life. He forgot to ask for eternal youth. So Merlin spent all of his time growing older and weaker. Some of you hurt. Some of you are wounded, and you can't wait to the merciful day when this life is over. Let's just be honest. Listen, I'm 66, and I'm at that point where the, where, um, uh, the comedian Dana Carvey said, you get hurt doing nothing. <laughs> okay? Some of you are with me. All right? And I, I'm at the point in my life now when I get home and I sit down, I have made a decision. Now, when I get up, it has to be worth the pain that I'm going to endure. So I may sit there and go, boy, I am really thirsty. I would like something to drink. And it simply may not be worth it. <laughs> I'll sit there longer going, well, you know, well, you, you have to get up and go to bed. You'll get something to drink then. But I'm not going to get up twice. Right? You get up, your ankle hurts, your knee hurts, your hips hurt, your back hurt. Everything hurts. I don't want to do that any more than I have to. For some of you, the news that you're going to live forever is painfully disappointing. Honestly, Southern Baptists have misunderstood this passage so badly that when you accepted Christ and you were brought into the church and you were baptized, we went back to the pew and we sat there and we're sitting there till we die. We didn't know what else to do. Don't you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Don't you want to be baptized? Yes. And we did all of that, then what do you do? Well, we're waiting on eternal life. And it's going to be better one day and all that happened when we die. We don't know what we're supposed to do between now and then. So you know you know, there are a lot of churches filled with people who are sitting in the pew who are simply waiting to die. Do you know that is not what Nicodemus would have seen? That's not what he would have wanted from Jesus. There was something else to Jesus' life. It was this depth. It was this richness. It's not that you're just going to live forever. You're going to live life for all that it is worth. You're going to live it every second as God intended in all of his goodness and all of his mercy and all of his grace, and you're going to start living that way. Now, now when we say something like that, your, your first thing is, okay, great. That sounds wonderful, fills my heart, and I'm all warm. But how does that work? Okay, let's break it down. We believe the future is done. Got that? Okay. We're not waiting for the future to be finished. We believe the future is done. That's why we're so confident that the future is as Jesus says it will be because it is done. Jesus is waiting for us in our future. Get that? 
Okay, now, what Jesus is saying is, because the future is already done, because I've already got that place prepared for you, I'm going to break off a part of that life, all you can stand, and I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to give you a little piece of what will be, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Now, okay, we're right now, we're going, how's it work? When you begin to walk with Jesus, when you begin the conversations with Jesus, Jesus began to point out things in your life that have to go. Now, some of you are carrying grudges. You've been angry a long time. Somebody hurt you, somebody wounded you, and you're carrying that grudge. Okay? Now, the issue is not whether or not the person who hurt you was right or wrong, guilty or not guilty. That's not the question. The question is, the guilt, the, the, the grudge you're holding takes up places where Jesus wants to be. Okay? It's not a matter of the other person being guilty, not guilty. It's a matter of do you want to hold the grudge or do you want Jesus to fill that part of your life? Okay? So, when you have the conversation with Jesus, he says, this has got to go. You've got to forgive that person. You've got to let it go. Why? Because I want to be in that space. So, you let that go. There are things in your life that you want that you know aren't good for you. I am addicted to Oreos. You know that. I don't need more information about Oreos. I know they're not good for you. I can read what's on the back of a pack of Oreos. I can't pronounce anything that's in an Oreo, but I can read it. I don't need more information. I don't need to look at it and go, oh, I'm smarter now. I won't eat this Oreo. I want that Oreo. I like that Oreo. I like twisting it. I like dipping it in the milk. I like eating the cream filling first. You know how you eat an Oreo. Right? That's what I want. You have things in your life that you want, and Jesus will ask you, how is that working out for you? It's not. Well, let's learn to, to want something else. And Jesus replaces that desire with a desire for him for his life, for his righteousness, for his goodness. He breaks off the future. He breaks off heaven and puts all of it in your life that you can stand. All in your life that you have room for. And as you create more space in your life, Christ fills your life more and more. We're not waiting to die. We're living that life now. Christ says, I have come that you may live and live life more abundantly. Out of that overflow of Christ pouring himself 
and to you. Now, if, if you were to come to me and say, man, I was thought about your sermon, and I'm, you know, thinking about this, thinking about that, I would say, wow, you're asking a lot of hard questions that will require some time to answer. Why don't we meet for lunch? Why don't we get a cup of coffee? There would be some conversation that would involve eating something and a table. Like today. You've heard this sermon. You've heard about the future of heaven being poured into your life. And you're thinking, wow, I wonder what that means. I don't know. And so Jesus is saying, why don't you meet me at this table? I'll hand you a piece of bread. I'll hand you a cup. And we can talk about your life. We can talk about your life now. Yes. The Lord's Supper is a time when we celebrate what Christ has done for us. He gave his life. He gave his blood for us. Yes, we celebrate that. Never make light of that. It's also a time for you to take time to think about what he yet wants to do and what he wants to do now. Our deacons will be preparing to serve you the Lord's Supper. As they prepare to serve you, you prepare your own heart for the conversation that you and the Lord will now have over a table, over a piece of bread, and over a cup. Lord Jesus, welcome us now to your table for this conversation about us and the future and you and you.